So, so thankful to our musicians, to the brass, to our chancel ensemble, to wonderful congregational singing and for the wonderful fellowship for the Spirit of the Lord that we feel in this place. I'm going to invite you to stand with us for the Scripture lesson from Matthew chapter 28 for this resurrection service. Dear friends, hear the word of the living God. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, even as he said, come see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead, and indeed he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All four Gospels agree that it was the women who first discovered the empty tomb. It's interesting, Matthew doesn't get very specific, does he? He says it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, perhaps Jesus' mother, perhaps the wife of James and Joses, perhaps the, the mother of Alphaeus. We don't know for sure, but it doesn't matter. It's the two Marys. There's no mention of spices here. So they're not coming to anoint the body, at least according to Matthew, for this was done earlier in the week, says Matthew 26, in the town of Bethany by a woman with an alabaster flask of perfume, you remember, whose anointing became a prophetic sign of the Passion Week. Mary and Mary came to see the tomb. What does that mean? It means they came to do grief's work. It means, as you said the other day, Casey, they came to remember, to weep, to mourn, to lament. I don't know about you, but I personally think it's kind of appropriate, don't you, that, that the women were the first to reach the tomb. They were the last to leave the cross. They followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem from Galilee to care for his needs, to support his ministry. The disciples, on the other hand, left Jesus in the lurch, but the women stuck by him, albeit, Matthew says, at a distance. They shadowed Joseph of Arimathea to the cemetery. You remember Joseph, a card-carrying member of the Sanhedrin, the religious council, who, by the way, was opposed to the verdict that led to Jesus' death. 
They marked the spot. But because of Sabbath regulations, because of the Torah, they could not attend to the arrangements, at least until Sunday. And so these women would just have to wait. And in the waiting, their grief was compounded, was multiplied. I don't know who said it, but I know it's true. Grief is the price we pay for love. That's true. One of my favorite books about grief is C.S. Lewis's classic book about his own grief and the loss of his wife, whose name was Joy. The book is called A Grief Observed, and Dr. Lewis writes these words. We were promised sufferings. They're part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn, and I accept that. I've got nothing that I haven't bargained for. Of course, it's different when the thing happens to you and not to someone else. It's different when it happens in reality and not in your imagination. It must have felt like forever, really, the day between Friday and Sunday, the 24-hour period between despair and hope. In fact, the traditional church has a name for this. We call it Silent Saturday. They couldn't eat. They couldn't sleep. They couldn't think. Some of you are here this morning on Silent Saturday. It is your first Easter without her. It is your first Easter celebration without him. And you know something about Saturday silence. I don't know who said it, but it's true. Grief always lasts longer than your friends expect and is always deeper than they can appreciate. You know about Silent Saturday. But finally, with the dawn of Sunday morning, they went, Mary and Mary, make their way to the grave to begin, I guess, the process of closure, maybe, when suddenly their grief turns to shock. They felt the ground beneath them giving way. It was a tremor, says Matthew, an earthquake. In fact, it was the second earthquake in the same weekend. The first one happened on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock when Jesus breathed his last. And the second one happened on Sunday morning at dawn. There was a seismic shift that was happening in the landscape. In fact, Matthew says there was an angel, a messenger from heaven, who descended and rolled the stone away. Matthew even comments that the soldiers, Rome's finest, were scared silly. I don't know about you, but I find that to be ironic, (laughs) that the ones with the swords were fearful, while the ones with tears would become fearless. And my favorite line in the whole story, I love this line, verse 2, After the angel moved the stone, he sat on it. What's that mean? What's he doing? He's spiking the football is what he's doing. He's dancing in the end zone. This is an angel who has some swag. This is one cocky cherub. And it's a picture of triumph. 
It's a picture of elation. I can just imagine him. This is not in the text. This is the revised chapel version. I can just imagine the angel looking down from the stone at the guards and saying, don't make me come down there. And then he turns to the women. You don't have to be afraid. That's always the first word, isn't it, from an angel? That's always the first word proclaimed from the pulpit. You don't have to be afraid. That was the message in Bethlehem when the angel appeared to shepherds who were watching their flock by night. Fear not. The gospel always begins with that. Don't be afraid. Fear not. 1 John 4.18 says it like this, perfect fear Perfect love casts out all fear. I think it's also true that perfect fear can cast out love. But on this day, there's a shift in the landscape. Whenever God shows up, wherever God shows up, fear is always dispelled. Don't be afraid. I know who you're looking for, for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He's been raised just as he said, that's a key phrase, amen? Just as he said. Everything happens during Holy Week just as Jesus says. In fact, he repeated three times, at least three times, he predicted the events of the Passion. He said at least three times, I have to go to Jerusalem. I will endure great suffering at the hands of sinful people and be killed but on the third day, be raised. And it happened just as he said. When I read that line, I realize the absolute necessity of spiritual formation, of knowing what Jesus says. Sometimes it is a problem, even in the church, our sense of biblical illiteracy, our lack of Bible study, our lack of scriptural teaching and discernment. You cannot remember something you don't know. Don't you remember what he said? It happened just like he said. And then watch this. The angel at this point in the scene gives the women a mission gives the women a ministry. God seldom ever appears without giving to us a task or a charge or an assignment. In short, revelation almost always comes attached to mission. And here's the mission. Go quickly and tell his disciples. They're the first preachers of the resurrection. Go quickly and tell his disciples he'd been raised from the dead, and indeed he is, listen to this, going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you'll see him. I want you to underscore the phrase, going ahead of you. In other words, your faith is not a thing of the past. It's not about nostalgia. Memory is key, but our faith is not a thing of the past. It's a thing of the future. Faith is always a forward movement. It ain't over till it's over. That's Second Yogi chapter 2, verse 8. Some of you remember Yogi Berra. It's deja vu all over again, he said. He once said, always go to others' funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. 
This Yogi Berra baseball season started Thursday. I don't know about some of you. My wife has been very irritable lately because baseball season started on Thursday. March Madness is going on all week, men and women college basketball, and the Masters starts on Thursday. And we're having one of our Easter services on a football field. Jesus is always going ahead of us. He's not confined to the past. One of the most beautiful songs I think I've ever heard was written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. You remember the song yesterday, the Beatles? Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. You ever been trapped in yesterday? I've heard some of our seniors over the last year say it, something like this. I I don't feel, I just don't feel like I have anything to look forward to because of COVID. I'm concerned that I may not get back to church, that I may not get back to worship, that I may not get back to my friends, my class, my fellowship, my spiritual family. And we've all felt that. I get it. This this last year has been one of the biggest trials of our generation. And sometimes it has felt as though our best days are behind us. It's easy to get stuck in yesterday. I've been reading about the container ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Anybody see it? 1,300-foot Japanese ship. I love the name of it. Ever Given is the name of the ship. It weighs 220,000 metric tons. It's a quarter of a mile in length. And the Ever Given was en route from China to Europe and got stuck in the sand of the Suez Canal that was built in 1869. It's a 120-mile artificial waterway, and the Ever Given got stuck in the mud for almost a whole week with a backlog of 350 ships waiting on it to move. I think what happened is the Ever Given gave out, (laughs) and the Ever Given almost gave up They tried everything with tugboats. They tried to dredge the sand and pull out the rock, and they just couldn't budge it. But something happened on day seven. There was a full moon. Native Americans used to call it the worm moon that appeared in the heavens. They had celestial help. And the position of the sun and the moon and the earth caused the tide to rise, and the boat began to creak and shift in the rocks because the tide rose. When the tide came up, that magnificent vessel began to loosen from the rock, and she set sail again. The ever given is still given. Somebody is stuck this morning. Somebody on this screen at home, linking with us in this room perhaps, 
you're carrying too much cargo. It's too heavy. There's a grief. There's, there's a burden. There's a weight that you're carrying, and you can't fix it. It's too much. You've tried to shake it off, and you're stuck in yesterday. You're convinced that maybe the best of life is past, and you need celestial help. Well, friend, I've got some news for you this morning. When that angel rolled that stone away on Sunday morning, it was a sign that the tide is rising. And all of that stuff stuck in sin and grief and fear and shame begins to creak and loosen. And all of a sudden, you begin sailing again. You don't have to be mired in yesterday. He's going ahead of you. Your best days are ahead. Because of the resurrection, we've all got something to look forward to tomorrow. Go and tell his disciples. That's the mission, that he's going ahead of them and will meet them in Galilee. And watch what the women, they actually do. They do it. I didn't know that women were supposed to preach, but they do it. In the first century, the women are proclaiming the resurrection. They do as they're told by the angel, and there's a sense of urgency. Now there's a spring in their step. They're on a mission. And in the going, Jesus shows up. Again, I think this is universally true. When you respond in obedience to the mission of Jesus, Jesus shows up. He reveals himself in the mission. In our obedience to his charge, we see Jesus. You see this. I'm going to preach on this text next week. Matthew's gospel. The last scene is the great commission where the risen Christ appears before he ascends and says to his friends, go into all the world and make disciples. And Jesus says, when you go, I will be with you always. In other words, when you go, he comes. And watch what they do. When they encounter Jesus, Matthew says, this is interesting, they take hold of his feet. What does that mean? That's the language of worship. That means mission and worship go hand in hand. N.T. Wright said, worship is love on its knees before the beloved, just as mission is love on its feet to serve the beloved. I don't know if I've ever mentioned Radnor Park from the pulpit or not, but it's one of my favorite places. And I remember they were running a campaign recently trying to raise money for the park, and this was the slogan, put your money where your feet are. That ought to be the slogan for the church. Put your money where your feet are. Our mission is love on its feet to serve the risen Christ. There's one other thing I want to mention. I want you to notice that before the women take off, Jesus actually reiterates the angel's word. 
He repeats the commission, in fact, almost verbatim with one exception. He doesn't say, go tell my disciples I'm going ahead of them. What does he say? Go tell my brothers. That's not an accident. That is so Jesus. Do you know the last time we saw the disciples in Matthew's gospel, they were anything but brothers? They were betrayers. They were defectors. They were deserters. They were traitors. Every one of them went AWOL on Jesus. And I would think that Jesus would say to the women, hey, go tell those punks that they're going to see me all right. Go tell those good-for-nothings. Go tell those reprobates, those degenerates. But that's not what he says. I want you to go tell my brothers that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. Our mission as a church is not only to be messengers of the resurrection, it is to be agents of reconciliation. And that's in that word, brothers. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, Christ has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, which means restored friendship, restored harmony. Of course, the sin is there. It doesn't take me five seconds to find it in myself. Of course, the betrayal is there, but we're family. Sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, in spite of the mess that we've made, in spite of the fact that we're stuck in the mud, the tide is rising. There's a seismic shift that's happening through the passion of Christ that begins to loosen the grip of sin and shame in us so that we can set sail again. God no longer defines them by their sin. God no longer defines you by your latest mistake. He defines you by his grace, unconditional And you see all of that in that word, brother, sister. Let me tell you what I think that news meant to those disciples. That news in their ears not only means that there is life after death, it means that there's life after life. That there's life after disappointment. There's there's life after disillusionment, after disaster, after getting stuck. There's life after failure. There's life after COVID. So go tell them. Their family, your family, your brothers, your sisters. My life verse, with this I close, and I mean it this time. Life verse, John 15, verse 15, where on the night before Jesus gave his life, he looked at his friends and he said, hey guys, no longer do I call you servants because the servant doesn't know what his boss is doing. But from now on, I call you friends. Friends, for everything that I have heard from my father, I will make known to you. And Jesus 
called me his friend. <laughs> and that's why we sing, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. There's life after life. There's a shift in the landscape that's happening and sin and death has lost its grip. And ever given is giving, is giving, is giving again. May it be so. In Jesus' name.